Welcome to When the Stars Disappear, a podcast that looks to scripture for guidance when our lives seem covered by darkness. Our name comes from the story in Acts about the Apostle Paul sailing across the Mediterranean Sea in order to appear before Caesar in Rome. In those days, sailors used the sun, moon, and stars to navigate. But Paul's ship sailed into a storm that blotted out all of heaven's lights, leaving them unsure where they were or what to do. When storms of suffering or doubt overtake us, we can feel like they did. We can feel as if all of the stars that have been guiding us have disappeared, leaving us unable to understand life or know what to do. Our guide as we address these issues is Mark Talbot, a professor of philosophy at Wheaton College. Mark suffered a paralyzing accident when he was 17 and now is writing a four-volume series on suffering in the Christian life. The first volume, When the Stars Disappear, Help and Hope from Stories of Suffering in Scripture, is available now from Crossway and wherever books are sold. In this episode, John and Mark recap the main lesson from When the Stars Disappear, that it is only those who endure to the end through all persecution and affliction who will be saved. Let's listen in. Mark, we thought we were done discussing your book, When the Stars Disappear, with our last episode. And then you contacted me the other day suggesting we needed one more episode. What changed your mind? (laughs) Well, John, as I talked with some of my readers, it struck me that we haven't yet emphasized the most general lessons that we as Christians should take from the stories of the Old Testament believers that I've examined in When the Stars Disappear. Uh, Here's one instance. We haven't made it explicit that considering the personal stories of Naomi, Job, and Jeremiah, that considering those stories shows us that God never abandons his children, no matter how bad their lives get. And since he never abandons his children, no matter how bad their lives get, we can trust him with our personal stories, even when our suffering is so excruciating that our lives seem senseless at best. So what do you think is the most important lesson that we as New Testament believers can take away from these Old Testament stories? I think it's the need for, in fact, the necessity of endurance in our suffering, John, no matter what kind of suffering it is. Um, From our Lord's lips in the Gospels on through the rest of the New Testament, we are told that those and only those who endure to the end will be saved. And as you and I have discussed, there are lessons that we as believers cannot learn just once, but that we must keep on learning again and again. And I think that perhaps the most important of these recurring lessons for us when we are suffering is that we must persevere in faith throughout our lives. We must endure. We must keep trusting God to redeem our personal stories, no matter how awful things get. That point, I think, is perhaps most clearly and most wonderfully made in the book of Hebrews. That book was written, as the the author to Hebrews says, as a word of exhortation. And it was written to a very small local congregation of Jewish Christians who had in the past remained faithful 
and hopeful in spite of enduring strong persecution. Some of them had been publicly mistreated, others had been imprisoned, and others had had their property, property confiscated. My guess is they lost their houses or anything like that. And yet, the author of Hebrews tells us, they had joyfully accepted all of that because they knew they had better and lasting possessions awaiting them when our Lord returns. Yet, then, in the face of renewed persecution, it turns out they were losing their nerve, which is what caused the writer of Hebrews to write his book. They were tempted to abandon their faith. And it was this threat that prompted Hebrews' anonymous author to warn them of the eternal consequences of denying their Lord, as well as to show what remaining faithful and hopeful would ultimately bring. As Paul, as Paul put it, we have to walk by faith, not by sight. And we must do so, the author of Hebrews makes clear, because God takes no pleasure in those who shrink back. Mm, you, you know, Mark, some of this I just really don't like, particularly, uh, you know, learning again and again. I, I mean, how true that is, but I don't like it. And and yet we need to hear this story. I'm wondering, Hebrews, is there any particular portion of Hebrews that makes it, expect, you know, especially clear? I, I think there is, but let me first, John, agree with you. I don't like these aspects of this story. The idea that I have to suffer in order to receive the rewards that our Lord is offering to those who identify with him just uh, hits me the wrong way. It's not what I want. I don't want to, to be told that if I'm not willing to witness to my Lord, that he's not going to be willing to own me as one of his followers. So this is hard on all of us. There's no doubt about that. You, you might join my petition to the Lord that, <laughs> that, that, he, that he switches his plan to sanctification by chocolate. <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, I agree that, as you said, um, why couldn't sanctification be by chocolate? And, and yet, it seems it's not. And it seems that sanctification comes through struggle, through suffering, through sacrifice. And that brings us back to Hebrews, what's particularly clear. <laughs> right, right, right. I think that chapter 11 is the really important chapter for us, John. You may remember that the author opens chapter 11 by declaring that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Faith is the evidence of things we cannot see. What that means is that faith reveals what will actually come to be, that, that if we have faith, we are revealing what will actually come to be. And in fact, when we have faith, then we know what we are to hope for. So by their faith, God's Old Testament saints that are going to be talked about in chapter 11 attested to realities that were 
by their very nature, either unseeable or yet unseen. Hmm. And it was by their faith that God then brought into being the earlier stages of his redemptive plan. Let me repeat that because that's so important. Remember that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Faith is the evidence of things we cannot see. So in other words, faith ushers in certain realities. And it was by the faith of God's Old Testament saints that he brought into being the earlier stages of his redemptive plan. In other words, the faithfulness of God's people, like Abraham and Moses, was critical to the great story of God sending his son into our world to redeem the world coming true. The story would not have come true if it weren't for the faithfulness of people like Abraham and Moses. Let me, let me fill that in a little bit. Abraham's given name, we could say, was Abram, which means exalted father. He became Abraham, God renamed him, which means father of many or of many nations, because he was willing in faith to start walking when God told him to, even though he didn't know where he was going. It's, you know, when you think of it colloquially, it's quite a story. God appears to Abram, who is of a family of moon worshipers, and he says to him, start walking. I'll tell you when to stop. (laughs) And Abram is willing to do that, even though he wasn't young. He was 75 at the time that command came to him. And in keeping the command, he had to leave his uh, larger family and his homeland. But God told him to leave and to head for a place that God said he would receive as an inheritance. And so, as the author of Hebrews puts it in chapter 11, by faith, we are told, he went to live in the land of promise. And consequently, from one man and him as good as dead, that's rather important. When he and Sarah left his original homeland, she was barren. And I don't know if he was impotent at that point, but at some point he became impotent And uh, he was as good as dead in his body, and yet God had promised that he would be the father of many nations. Um, He headed out. And so as the author of Hebrews says, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore, And those descendants, of course, included God's own son. Hmm. Wow. I mean, what an amazing story. And there's part of it, like, it's just hard to grasp. Um, So what's what's really the main lesson uh, that we should take out of this? Well, well, let me let me first mention one more case with regard to Moses, John, because it's it's at least equally important. Hmm. It was by faith that Moses, even though he had grown up as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, refused to be called her son and chose instead to share the oppression of God's people instead of, as the author of Hebrews puts it, 
enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so at 40, he left Egypt for the Midianite wilderness. And the reason he left, we're told, is because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible, on God. Now later, when he's 80, these these guys are pretty old when God's giving them his commands. Uh, Later, when he's 80, uh, the same faith is what leads him to come back and confront Pharaoh. God meets him at the burning bush, tells him what he's supposed to do. Of course, he doesn't really want to do it, but he ends up doing it nevertheless. So it's the same faith that leads him back to confront Pharaoh. And by faith, which believes that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, Moses was led to institute the first Passover so that when the Lord's destroyer passed through Egypt, killing all of Egypt's firstborn, he wasn't permitted to touch any of the Israelites. And of course, that was the the last straw. That was the straw that broke the camel's back and led Pharaoh finally to let Abraham's descendants go free and thus become the Israelite nation. You know, Mark, it strikes me that in both of these stories, it's the backstory that you mentioned that gets my attention. Moon worshipers, really, we don't hear yeah, about them. Yeah. We forget that who Abraham was before we forget we forget Abram and who he was and 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 Moses the same thing we kind of think well these guys are so spiritually significant they must have grown up in nice little Christian homes right 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 <laughs> very good and 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 that wasn't the case at all think of think of what Moses as a prince of Egypt uh, was able to enjoy and yet which he was willing to turn his back on. When God called him, mm. so what? So what do we take out practically from these two cases? It seems to me that unseen future realities, uh, and in fact, the unseen future realities—the specific ones that were to become the earlier stages of God's redemptive plan—came into being, and only came into being as Abraham and Moses lived out their faith. In God's great plan, God had ordained their faith and their obedience as essential steps in the realization of his redemptive plan that would culminate in the earthly work of his son, Jesus Christ. And so it seems to me, John, that the main lesson we should take from this is that God often, in fact, I think we can say usually, works through his saints' work. The great gospel story that I've written about in my second volume, Give Me Understanding That I May Live, has come true because and only because Abraham and Moses, among many others, were faithful. This, I think, quite often sounds shocking, but in fact, to say that is to, is to say that if Abraham had not stepped out in obedience to his Lord's command to head for an unknown place, then there would have been no Isaac, his son. There would have been no Jacob, his grandson. And as a result, there would have been no Old Testament people of God through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Similarly, 
if Moses had not believed what he heard about God's promise to deliver Abraham's enslaved descendants from foreign oppression, then he wouldn't have obeyed God's call to deliver them from Egyptian slavery and lead them to the promised land. And if he hadn't done that, there would never have been a nation of Israel distinct from every other people on the face of the earth, as Exodus thirty three sixteen puts it. So wait, wait a minute here. So you're <laughs> suggesting that God would not have worked through others if Abraham and Moses had, had not obeyed him. That's exactly what I'm saying, John. It's radical. It is. I want to maintain, I think this is scriptural, that God in his sovereignty never has to resort to any plan B. His plan A, the plan that he has set from before time began, is always efficacious. But that doesn't mean, and this is the important thing, that doesn't mean that plan A comes about without the faithfulness of God's people. In that way, I want to say that Abraham and Moses were essential characters in the great redemptive drama that our triune God has planned and plotted out from before the beginning of time. And their playing their parts involved real, costly choices on their parts. It required courage. It required sacrifice. It required them to believe God and act faithfully and courageously, no matter how bad the odds seemed. Mm. You know, I'm thinking if I follow this line of reasoning, that somehow that gets down to me, too. (laughs) It does. It gets down to each one of us. And this is part of the reason I don't like this story any more than you do. Because, let's think about it this way. You're a father. If I recall, you've got a son and a daughter, right, John? Correct. Um, uh, and, And you have a role as their father that is essential in such a way that if you don't fulfill it, no one else can. Someone may or might try to step in and fulfill that role if you refuse to play it, but any substitute would be just that. Uh, it would be a substitute, it wouldn't be the real thing, it'd be an ersatz father, it wouldn't be, the, wouldn't be their real father. Only you can be a proper father to your children And so that is a task that you alone can and must fulfill. So the main lesson for us here is this. Each of our personal stories plays small but important roles in making up the content of the Bible's general story, just as if Abram hadn't started walking, just as if if Abram hadn't started walking when God commanded him, there would be no Old Testament people. And if Moses hadn't obeyed God's command to go back to Egypt and confront Pharaoh, there would have never been a free Israelite nation. We are told to bring it into our time. We are told to be disciples, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything Jesus has commanded. Now, that doesn't mean 
that we are all to become ministers or missionaries. But what it does mean is that we must all play our roles in spreading the good news. And if we don't spread it, there may be some who will never hear it. Mm. Uh, but most of us, Mark, aren't that effective as evangelists, or certainly think we aren't. Right. What do we, what do, we do with that? Yeah. I think that I, I liked your qualification there, John, that we aren't effective as evangelists or we don't think we are, because I think quite often people actually are watching us and reaching conclusions about us that um, we don't intend, but that quite often, uh, if we are living Christian lives, strike them as something unusual and perhaps unusually good. But I think that insofar as it involves our not being effective evangelists, I think it's usually because we're afraid to identify with our Lord because of the insults and the opprobrium and the persecution that can and will follow. But then I think in that case, we need to remember, as Paul said, that all who want to live godly lives as followers of Jesus Christ will be persecuted. All who want to live godly lives as followers of Jesus Christ will be persecuted. And in fact, Paul makes it clear that if we don't suffer for Christ, we will not be glorified with him. Read chapter 8 of Romans. Witnessing to the truth of the gospel and the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead is not optional for Christians. It's part of what we must do to be counted among those who are saved. And, as I've already asked, if we don't witness to our neighbors, who will? Mm. You know, uh, this just, I mean, you're really getting to the place that it, that it touches home. Do I go on a guilt trip? Do I get excited <laughs> about being part of this amazing plan that God's going to do? There's a sense you're already saying it's not that he's going to do it with us or without us. He's doing it with us. And, <laughs> right. and we're part of this plan. Yes. And that, you know, that's the good news in here is yeah. we are part of what God is going to bring about. And we already know the ending. Yes, yes. Here's this great story. And God has, in his graciousness, made us part of the story. But there's severity here, too. There's the severity of the fact that we then need to play our part and that our Lord has commanded us to play that part and says that if we don't own him, he won't own us. Hmm. Let me wrap the whole thing up this way. Scripture tells us that we are, in fact, characters in a great, indeed, the greatest story of the world. And it implies that each of us needs to play the part that God has assigned to us. Into each of our lives, some rain, some suffering will, of course, fall. And that may tempt us to take the Christian story as untrue. But the Christian story, as it opens in the Old Testament, has told us that we will all suffer in any number of ways. Just read the third and the fourth chapters of Genesis. Our task in the midst of that suffering, no matter what kind it is, our task is to endure, to continue to believe and proclaim the great truth that God was in Christ 
reconciling the world to himself. Mm -hmm. But we will only do that by reminding ourselves again and again that who or whose we are, we're Christ's, that who or whose we are, and that what we do matters and matters eternally. I can give you one more illustration of this, John. It's, in fact, in a letter that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote to his son, Christopher, when Christopher was training in South Africa to be an RAF pilot in World War II. Now, Tolkien, as a committed Christian, knew that he was living out a small part of God's great story. He knew that Christopher was, too, as implausible as that might seem to Christopher. And he knew, as he told Christopher, that nothing is accomplished in a world like ours or in a world like the wonderful fictional world that Tolkien made up in Lord of the Rings, that nothing is accomplished in a world like ours or in a world like that without struggle, suffering, and sacrifice. So he told Christopher that as with the characters in The Lord of the Rings, he needed to remember that as a character on the ground, as a little guy in South Africa training to be an RAF pilot, that in that position, it uh, could easily seem that he wasn't living out any story at all, much less a great story. And yet... Tolkien maintained, yes, we are living out great stories, and it's actually part of the reason he wrote The Lord of the Rings, to make clear how little people on the ground, uh, just being faithful, can bring about great things. So what we need to do is remind ourselves again and again that we need to play the part that God has assigned to us. Often when we're suffering the part assigned to us is that we must endure, continuing to believe that God will bring our personal stories to a gloriously satisfying end. And that, John, that's the main lesson I want my readers to take from when the stars disappear. And Mark, that is the good news, the really, really good news. And with that, we'll look forward to volume two. Give me understanding that I may live, situating our suffering within God's redemptive plan. And that's worth a thought. This is John Bash. Have a great day. Thank you, John. Just as Moses and Abraham were faithful and obedient to God's call on their lives, we too are called to be faithful and obedient to the part God has assigned to us. Often in the midst of suffering, the part we are called to play is to endure. Suffering may tempt us to think the Christian story is untrue, but in fact, the Christian story has told us that we will suffer, so our task in the midst of that suffering is to continue to believe and proclaim the great truth of the gospel. We will only do that by reminding ourselves again and again that because we are in Christ, what we do matters and matters eternally. Mark's conversation partner for this podcast is John Bash, a shepherd with Standing Stone Ministry and host of the radio show and podcast, Church Hurts And. Remember to put in the and 
when you look for it wherever you listen to podcasts or at churchhurtsand.org. If you found this content helpful, let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Your review will help others find these discussions as well. And if you have any questions about what was discussed in this episode, email us at info at whenthestarsdisappear.com. We'd love to hear from you. This is Lauren Susanto on behalf of Mark and John, thanking you for listening to When the Stars Disappear. Oh,